Well, I was blessed growing up to have one sibling and only one, a younger brother that I love very much and loved my entire life. And there were years I saw myself as his protector, uh, years that, uh, you know, we uh, would uh, go back and forth in terms of who's the best basketball player and that sort of thing, just normal sibling stuff. But uh, I'll never forget on one occasion, we were upstairs uh, playing in his room one evening. And uh, as we were uh, playing with whatever we were playing with that particular night, it could have been G.I. Joe's. It could have been Star Wars figures. It could have been He-Man. Okay. This is the, these are some of the options of the greatest generation. Okay. That's, the, that's kind of the way it, it works. So we, we were doing something and all of a sudden the lights went out. Pitch black. I don't remember if there's a storm. I don't remember what happened. I mean, all of a sudden we're upstairs doing our thing and the lights went out and I'll never forget, it was just pitch black and we were little. And so being the oldest, I did what a godly, brave, courageous older brother would do. I abandoned my younger brother <laughs> and I ran downstairs to my parents. And to this day, I remember hearing the screams of my younger brother who had been absolutely abandoned upstairs by himself, had no idea where he was, had no idea what to do. And because of course he's the youngest, which means he's the favorite, my parents abandoned me downstairs and went up to him upstairs. No, that did not actually happen. But in my recollection, that's exactly what happened. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that where you've been um, in a situation where you, maybe you didn't know where you were, maybe you were lost, maybe you were in the dark, maybe the lights went out, maybe something happened and it was a traumatic type of situation. I, I think back to that moment in my life, just that overwhelming fear of being in the dark, seemingly by myself and not knowing what to do, where to go. That's a, a horrific feeling. And, and I can only imagine, you know, can you imagine, you ever thought about this, like if you were to live your whole life that way? Like can you imagine if you had to live your entire life in the dark, what that would be like? To never be able to see, to never be able to interact visually with your family, to never be able to interact with the world that God has made, to never be able to behold some of the good and great things that are around us. Like to live your whole life in the dark would be a harrowing experience. And today we're going to look at a man who lived his whole life just like that in the dark. But we're going to see a greater truth surface today as we look at his life. Because initially when I was preparing this message, I was thinking, you know what? Most people don't live their lives in the dark like that, thankfully. But then I... I got to thinking about it and I realized actually most people live their lives in the dark. It's not a physical darkness, it's a spiritual darkness. There's a tragedy all around us that it's in most cases people with perfectly good vision who still don't know where they're going. And today I wanna to show you some truths from God's word about the powerful work of Jesus seen in the healing of a man who was physically blind, but more acutely in a man who was spiritually blind. 
And there's some encouraging truths for us today as we think about what it looks like to make a difference in this world because we have a Savior that restores sight to the blind, not just physical sight, but spiritual sight. And we have a God who meets us where we are. We have a God who meets every need. We have a God who empowers us and enables us to do things that are far beyond our human capabilities. And, and that's why as we think about the A-team today, I want you to, to turn with me to John chapter 9 as we look at this man born blind who encountered Jesus on a fateful day 2,000 years ago. It's a, it's a powerful historical event in the ministry of Jesus that again shows us something about what it means to live life with full vision, not just physically, but spiritually. You know, this notion of seeing things properly is something that we're actually familiar with. We, we talk about seeing more than just being a physical phenomenon, right? Like sometimes you talk about a work situation, you're like, man, I just didn't see that coming. You're not talking about a physical thing, you're talking about a a situational thing, situational awareness, right? We talk about family sometimes. Man, I just didn't see, I didn't see that coming with my kids. Or, and, and, and so we know there's a notion where we can see things physically, but we can also see things relationally or situationally. And, and Jesus is going to address both of those things today as he encounters a man who physically was blind, but also spiritually was blind. We see it in John Chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, check this out. I just want to just set the context here, the first few verses. It says this. Now, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now, let me just pause here quickly. I just want you to understand the significance of this. Jesus healed other blind people in his ministry. This is the only one we know of where the man was actually born blind. And if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, I just want you to understand the Bible is not myth. The Bible is not fable. The Bible is good history. The Bible has specificity. The Bible has eyewitness testimony, okay? This is not like um, some dude ran off into the wilderness, came back with a book we know as the Bible and said, hey, look, God gave me this revelation. No one can verify it, okay? The fact that this man was born blind and that he encountered Jesus was witnessed by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Okay, this is good history. And so here's what happened. Jesus encountered this man who we know, we're going to see this later, from his parents. He was born blind, had never been able to see. Okay, by the way, historically we know that prior to some of the common medications we have today, there were many people who had illnesses like this. Uh, there were venereal diseases that were much more common than they are today. Uh, it's possible this man had that type of an illness. We don't know for sure, but we know this type of illness was much more common then than it is now. And so you have a man who from birth had some type of situation in his body where he was blinded. From his earliest of days, he could not see. But the way people viewed him in first century Jerusalem was much different than how we would view him today. We see this even in the disciples in verse 2. Watch this. So the disciples say, Rabbi or teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now notice the disciples here are like an attorney who's leading the witness. <laughs> They're not asking, Lord, is his blindness his fault or Lord, is his blindness his parents' fault as if it's open-ended? They've already assumed and concluded it's one or the other. Did you notice that? The council is leading the witness. So Jesus, which one is it? Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? By the way, 
both of those views are utterly ridiculous and inconsistent with even what the Lord gave Israel in the Old Testament. Okay, I don't have time to flesh that out today, but I just want you to understand the legalism that existed and permeated the culture of the first century Judaism was so profound that even the disciples were swept up in it. They assumed that maybe even in the womb, this, this, this man had sinned or something happened with his parents. It's, it's problematic. It's not well-reasoned, but that was the prevailing view of the day. And so the disciples just assume that this is the case. It was either him or his parents. Now look at the response of Jesus in verse 3. Jesus doesn't engage in the foolishness. He just says flatly, no, 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 it was not because of his sins or his parents. This actually has happened to him so that the power of God could be seen in him. He continues. He says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And we got work to do right now. Because I'm the light of the world and I am here and my light is going to permeate the darkness of this age. And so then verse 6, check this out. So Jesus spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he said to him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. And so the man went and washed and he came back seeing. Verifiable miracle in the ministry of Jesus. A situation that even today has much to teach us. And, and so I want to encourage you to jot a few things down, okay, as we walk through th this full account, starting here in verses 1 to 7. Uh, I want you to see this, okay, the darkness in our lives is a result of the darkness in our world. Here's the thing, we don't have the full-fledged foolishness of the disciples or the Pharisees or the first century Jewish culture to think that, you know, a baby that's born with some type of defect is the fault of the child or the parents, okay? But lean in here. There is something so legalistic in every single one of us that we do often see a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. We often think that the difficulties in our lives are always related to something that we've done, some way in which God is displeased. We are all legalists at heart. We all prefer a ladder over a Lord. We would all prefer to get ourselves to heaven instead of having Jesus do it for us. That's how we're naturally wired. And so even as Christ followers who have submitted ourselves to Jesus and received his grace and not tried to earn our salvation with our works, here's what we do. We so often relate to God on the basis of our good or our bad. And we often think that, you know what, God is pleased with us if we're good and he blesses us when we're good. But if there's anything that, that's tough, difficult, any hardship, any suffering in our lives, well, that must necessarily mean God's displeased with us. And we kind of get into this cause and effect relationship with hardship and suffering. You, you, you see, you see um, even one of the greatest movies of all time leans into this. Uh, do you like the sound of music? I know some of you are thinking of uh, Maria. And oh, what a beautiful woman who loved the Lord. She was a legalist. I don't even know if she was a Christian in the movie. Okay, some of you, I know that's shocking, okay? Now, I'm having a little fun here. But do you remember this scene in the movie when uh, Maria and Captain Von Trapp 
meet under this gazebo and they start dancing and singing and I think they even kiss there. <gasps> I think, I don't know. I try not to watch the movie because <laughs> I prefer Rocky and Rambo. But, but, do you remember that scene when they're singing to each other? Do you remember the song? The song is, somewhere I must have done something good. The lyrics go like this. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Maria is spitting heresy, you guys. She's spitting heresy. She's caught up in her emotions. This happens, okay. What, what's the notion there, okay, that, well, somewhere in my past, I must have done something good, and that's why I'm having the blessings of today. Of course, the reverse of that would also have to be true, that if I were going through a difficult time right now, something in my past must have been something bad, okay. That philosophy is in every single one of us to some extent. Now, here's what I want you to know. Are you ready for the truth? Okay. The truth is, that sometimes we endure hardship and suffering simply because we live in a broken world. It's not the direct action of our disobedience. Sometimes, sometimes we endure hardship and suffering because God has a greater plan for our lives. And he's going to use that hardship and suffering to bring glory to himself. Now, certainly sometimes the Bible teaches this. We do sin and we do rebel against God's plan for our lives and we incur the consequences of that. Absolutely. But I just want you to understand that's not always the case. And sometimes we experience brokenness and darkness, if you will, in our lives because of the brokenness and the darkness in our world. Now, generally speaking, all brokenness and all darkness is the result of sin. And ultimately it is our fault. But that's not to say that specifically everything that happens is a result of some direct action that we have done. And Jesus teaches the disciples here with the man born blind that he didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. Jesus actually says his blindness from birth actually happened because of a divine purpose. God has a plan for this man. And so I just want you to get your theology right as, as we think about what it looks like to encounter hardship and suffering in life. If you think that becoming a Christian is going to mean you live a, a, a life without pain or hardship or suffering, that is nowhere taught in Scripture. Okay, the reality is we're always going to intersect with, with darkness and broker, brokenness, and sometimes it's not our fault. But, but, but here's the hope that we have. Our God is in control of all things, and for His children, He is navigating brokenness, and He's navigating the spiritual darkness around us in such a way that he's going to bring greater glory to himself through his children. That's why Paul says we know that God works all things for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12 with respect to a means of suffering that he had, not that he sinned or someone else sinned. He said, I I've just encountered something very, very difficult. Here's what he said. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Three times, Paul said. 
And every single time, here's what the Lord said to him. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. He said, that's why I take pleasure even in my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. With respect to your pride in mine, can I let you in on a little secret here? Sometimes the Lord allows suffering in our lives because we would not humble ourselves toward his work any other way. Sometimes the Lord allows or ushers suffering and hardship so that we will get on our knees and seek him. But there is a divine purpose for hardship for God's children. He is in control and um, we have this hope that the darkness in our world often leads to certain aspects of darkness in our lives, brokenness, right? It's not always the result of direct action. And, and so let me give you the second takeaway today, okay? Here's what we see then as Jesus interacts with this man born blind. This is the hope that we have, that the darkness in our lives can only be cured by the light of the world. And today there are millions of people trying to navigate the spiritual darkness and the brokenness of their world and they're trying to do it in all of these other ways and they just won't humble themselves and receive the only way you can be cured from your spiritual blindness and that's to welcome the light of the world into your life. And that's why Jesus talks about this darkness in the world and the fact that while it's day, he's going to work because Jesus is highlighting the fact that that he is the only one who can cure our spiritual blindness, right? And he, he demonstrates that with the physical healing of the man born blind. We know that Jesus is working in this way so that through the physical healing, people come to receive his spiritual healing. And so let me, let me give you just a couple aspects of this. And I'm going to summarize most of the chapter. It's a long chapter. We don't have time to read through the whole thing. So let me kind of summarize what happens here. As Jesus brings healing to this man, listen, he, here's what he's highlighting. That, that the physical and spiritual healing of Jesus, that is our greatest need. And, and I know that this man perhaps in the moment thought that the curing of his physical blindness was his greater need. But as we get to the end of the chapter, what happens is, he actually confesses that Jesus is Lord and he worships him. This man comes to understand that the curing of his physical blindness was not his greatest need. His greatest need was the curing of his spiritual blindness. And there are many places where, 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 where Jesus brings physical healing so that it leads people to his spiritual healing. That's the greatest need we have. And so often we have these moments where we are suffering or we are hurting or there's something wrong with our lives. We, we pray something like this, we say, God, you know what, if you would just heal me, God, if you would just fix this situation, God, if you would just provide for me here, I will worship you, I will serve you, I will never doubt you ever again. God, I will give, I will serve. God, if you'll just do this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then a year later, we've largely forgotten we made that promise. Do you know why? Because... The physical, physical cures to whatever is ailing us is not our greatest need. And there are plenty of people who've had full use of their eyes their entire lives who still don't see the beauty of Christ. Remember when Jesus healed the paralytic in Matthew? Matthew's gospel, they lower the paralytic through the roof. Jesus says, 
your faith has made you well. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. If I'm that paralytic, I'm like, hey, I appreciate that, dude, but my legs don't work. Remember the lame man in um, Acts 3 where Peter and John come up to him? He's sitting at the temple grounds. And, and Peter and John say, hey, dude, look up at us. And he looks up. And the Bible says he's expecting to receive something, some money. He's expecting to get enough food to get through that day. He's excited. And Peter says to him, I'm just going to, this is the biggest downer perhaps in the New Testament. Wah, wah, wah. Peter says, hey, man, silver or gold. I don't have any. I don't have any silver or gold. <laughs> in that split second, what was that guy thinking? What was the paralytic thinking in Matthew 9? What was the lame man thinking in, in, in Acts 3? Peter says, hey, man, look at me. The guy's like, yes. He's like, no, I don't have any money. Do you take Apple Pay? I don't carry cash on me. And I'm sure the guy's like, what? That's my greatest need. I can't walk. I have friends place me here by the temple gate every day. What do you mean you don't have any money? There's nothing else you have that I need. Ah! Peter says, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And they take the dude by the hand, they pull him up and immediately his legs are strengthened. The dude starts making a fool out of himself, walking, jumping, leaping, praising God. Because when Jesus heals you, you don't go to rehab for six months. And what he thought was his greatest need was not his greatest need. His greatest need was to see the light of the world. And the paralytic in Matthew 9 thought his greatest need was to have power in his legs. And Jesus says, before he heals him, of course he does heal him because Jesus goes on to say, I'm going to bring healing to you so that you know that the Son of Man has the power not just to heal your legs, but to forgive your sin. And with a man born blind, it's the same thing. Jesus brings physical healing as evidence that he and he alone can bring spiritual healing. Let me, let me just encourage you to take a quick inventory of your life. What is it today that you would say is your greatest need? God, if you would just do this for me, I would dot, dot, dot. And can you just remind yourself today that the power of our God is, is, is unlike anything you've ever seen. That our God heals the blind, the lame, the crippled. He comforts the human heart. And our God, through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has even conquered sin, death, and hell. And he has given you a hope that endures. He has done all that is necessary to meet your greatest need. And I know sometimes when you're hurting, you feel like, God, this is my greatest need. If you would just do this and, and just, just lean into what God does here, what Jesus does through the man born blind. No, actually what he does here is not just bring physical healing, but spiritual healing, because that spiritual healing is our greatest need. And that healing can only come through Jesus. It can only come through the light of the world, right? Because, okay, here's another takeaway here as we're thinking about this darkness cured by the light of the world. Our spiritual blindness is crippling without Jesus' help. Only Jesus can open up our physical and spiritual eyes. And, and here's what happens as we move through the narrative. Again, I don't have time to read it all, but, 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 but if you've never seen this, I encourage you to go home and read it later today. Here's what happens. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the good guys, the respected leaders of, of, of first century Judaism, they get involved and they begin to interrogate this guy. Because people are like, I don't, is that him? Is that the dude who was born blind? They're like, some are like, no, that's not him. 
And so others are like, no, I think that's him. And there's this whole debate in the community, like, is that the dude who's always been sitting around, who, whose parents have been just grieving over the fact that they had a son who was born with this disability? And, and there's this whole thing. And, and you know why I think they, they can't figure it out? Because there is a context thing sometimes where it's like, okay, I'm used to seeing this guy sitting on the ground begging, but now I see him up walking around with full vision, and I'm not really sure it's the same guy. But you know what else I think is involved here? I think that they were so accustomed to seeing this dude, they just absolutely ceased to notice him anymore. They walked past him every day. They drove past him every day. He was always in the same spot. He's blind. And just day after day, year after year, okay, we know this guy because of what his parents say that he's coming of age is probably, he's at least 13, he's probably 20 or older. So all these years, these people are just driving by this kid and um, they just stop seeing him. Kind of like some of those cobwebs you have in the corner of your living room. If I were to come over to your house today, I'd be like, man, why don't you clean up your house? And you're like, my house is spotless. Because whenever something's there every single day over time, you just kind of miss it. You know, you're just walking past it. And I, I just think this guy was invisible to his community. And so there's this debate of like, is that the same guy? I think it's the same guy. And so the Pharisees get involved because Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. And Jesus often will work miracles through certain physical means. You know, he just, that's just the way he chose to work. And so he spits on the ground, he creates this mud. The word for mud there in the original language, check this out, is the same word for dough. And it was illegal on the Sabbath to make dough. And it would have been illegal for Jesus to have made dough or mud in the ground to heal this man on the Sabbath because it was not a life-threatening disability. And Jesus did it intentionally to to. to rile up the Pharisees and to draw attention to the fact that he is the light of the world and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And if he wants to heal people on the Sabbath, he can heal people on the Sabbath because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And so now the Pharisees are involved and they're all trying to figure out, is this the guy? Well, they, they eventually end up at his parents' house. And they're like, yeah, that's him. That's our son. He was born blind. And... um. Does it just does it does it bother you that all these religious leaders, after verifying that Jesus healed this man, care more about persecuting Jesus than they do celebrating him? I mean, you and I are reading about this two thousand years later. These boys were there. I mean, listen, if this happened to us, we'd be tweeting about it. It'd be on Facebook. It'd be on Instagram. We'd have selfies with this dude. Hey, look at this guy. He was healed by Jesus. Right? Don't even act like some of you wouldn't do that. You would totally do that. You'd be like, Pastor, can we have this guy come in and give his testimony? Well, absolutely. I'm trying to schedule him along with everybody else. He's like, he's charging like 50000 just to come speak to all these churches because he's so into them, right? I mean, he would be like the most popular thing going if that happened in our day. And the Pharisees are living it. They're there. They're talking to his parents. They're talking to him. They can see him. He can see them. And they're more tripped up over the fact that it happened on the Sabbath than the fact that Jesus has the power to heal a man who was born blind. That is the essence of spiritual blindness. 
You see the work of God in the world. You see the power of Jesus and you still don't believe. That's why Jesus, when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus said, if people will not receive Moses and the prophets, they will not believe even if one rises from the dead. Listen to me carefully. The darkness in your heart is so deep because of your sin, your motives. The only hope of healing you have is through Jesus, the light of the world. And you can be all around religious activity. You can be all around the church. You can be all around people whose lives are changed and be as blind as a bat. And if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that's the only hope you have. He's the light of the world. He can heal your spiritual blindness. He can forgive your sin. He can welcome you as a son or a daughter. He, he will change your life. He will give you hope beyond the grave. And in order for you to receive that, here, here's the thing, okay? The light of the world has to be received by faith. That's why Jesus says to the blind man, go and wash. That man was at the temple grounds. He had to walk to the pool of Siloam, which, by the way, was discovered in 2005. We now know where it is. We have sections of it uncovered. Do you want to know how far it is? It's a quarter of a mile. You ever try to walk a quarter of a mile with your eyes closed? Jesus puts the mud on his eyes and he says, I want you to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. That wasn't like five feet away. It was a quarter of a mile away. You know what Jesus is doing there? Jesus is saying, do you have the faith to follow? The man said, you bet. And he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Jesus has done for you all that is required for your salvation, but you need to take a step of faith, humble yourself, turn from your sin, and receive his salvation. And in light of what Jesus has done for you, if you'll take that step of faith and you'll go wash, you will come back seeing. That's the gospel. And then lastly, now hear, hear me, this is, this is very encouraging, okay? Here's the good news, okay? Just make a note of this. When God then brings you from darkness to light, you have a story that is worth sharing. Hey, would you just get this into your heart today? That when God does bring you from darkness to light, you have something that's worth sharing. It's a story. You know what the fancy church word is? You know what the vacation Bible school word is for this? Testimony. It's a good word. I like the word. I'm not disparaging the word. That's what it is. But, but for some of you who are new to church, do you know what a testimony is? It's just your story. Some of you Thursday night are going to be hoping that your testimony Friday morning is that the University of Florida football team is back. You're hoping that's your testimony. Okay? I have my concerns. But I'm, I'm rooting for you. All right? I'm rooting for you. Some of you Florida State fans, you know, y'all big and bad now, top 10, you're like, okay, my testimony's gonna be we back. Well, we're gonna see. Your testimony is just a story, it's what you're excited about. It's, it's about something that's happened in your life that you're pumped up about, right? Can I, can I get, listen, put all this together here in John 9. If Jesus has met your greatest need, 
in himself, through his work, by his grace, if he has, which he has if you're a Christ follower today, he's brought sight to those of us who are spiritually blind. He's changed our, our eternities, right? He's delivered us from hell and eternal punishment. Listen, if Jesus has done all of this, don't you think we might be a little excited about what he's done? Don't you think we got a little story that's worth telling the world? And I know some of you think, well, you know what? I don't have a PhD and I don't have a seminary degree and I'm not called to full-time ministry and missions. Well, listen, we need people who are called full-time, okay? But, but that's never been God's plan A for reaching the world. You know what God's plan A for reaching the world is? This guy who was blind but can now see. And let me show you, look at verse 24. Let me just show you what happens. There's all this back and forth. The Pharisees talking to his parents. His parents, by the way, completely just throwing him under the bus because they are so scared of the Pharisees. They're like, well, I don't, ask him, ask him, ask him, right? They don't even have his back. And so they come back to him, verse 24, a second time. Watch this. For the second time they called in the man who had been blind. And they said, well, God should get the glory of this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Because if he weren't a sinner, you know, he wouldn't have been healing on the Sabbath. They can't, again, they just missed the forest for the trees here. So look, verse 25. This man, uneducated, lived his whole life as a beggar, lived his whole life as an outcast, lived his whole life as one who was viewed with scorn. He said, fellas, I don't know if he's a sinner. I know this. I was blind and now I can see. And look at this. They say, but what did he do? How did he heal you? The man says, look, I already told you once. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> this dude's feeling it. This dude is feeling it. And so then watch this. They cursed him and they said, you are his disciple, we are, but we are disciples of Moses. And we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And the man born blind says, well, that's very strange. The man said, he healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could not have done it. Now that's when you just take the mic and you drop it on the floor. And some of you sitting there today, like, I don't know if I can make a difference for Jesus. I don't know if God can really use me in a powerful way. Can I, can I just tell you the greatest tool you have in your tool bag? Your story. Now, if someone asks you an apologetic question that you can't answer, every member of our pastoral team has an email address, and you email us. We'll help equip you. That's why we have the training we have. But don't ever think for a moment that some specific aspect of what someone's going to ask you disqualifies you from making a difference for your Savior. Because the most powerful part of how you can make a difference in this world is you simply sharing your story. Let me tell you my story. At 15 years old, God saved me. He changed my life. And some of you have a story that you were saved at five. Some of you have a story you were saved at 50. I love it here at Bell Shoals. Every time we have baptism Sundays, we baptize some people who are 12. We baptize some people in their 80s. And let me tell you something. Don't you disparage God's story for one second. Don't you ever think that God can't use you for one second. Have you ever thought that where you work right now 
is by design, that God has intentionally placed you to be an influencer for him? You say, well, again, I don't have a theological education. I can't answer every question. Fine. Can you share your story? Because let me tell you something what the Pharisees couldn't do with this man born blind. They could not deny the fact that his life had been changed. They couldn't deny it. And not everyone's going to believe. Not everyone's going to come to church when you invite them. Not everyone's going to be open. That's okay. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. Sometimes we plant and sometimes we water. But God gives the growth. Now listen to me carefully, Bell Shoals. If we aren't busy planting and watering, there'll be no growth to give. Salvation's not dependent upon us. Don't get me wrong. But God has so chosen in his wisdom to intersect our foolishness to the extent that through the sharing of the gospel, he brings the blind to see. That's how he's chosen to do it. He didn't have to do it that way. That's how he's chosen to do it. You are plan A. You are the A team. And we've seen it with average Jewish fishermen. We saw it last week with a trader and a tax collector. We're seeing it this week with a total outsider, a blind man, that God's using average, ordinary people to turn the world upside down. All you have to do is be willing to share your story. All you have to do is be willing to invite somebody to church with you. Hey, maybe for some of you, you used to be open to, to, to rolling down to Riverview for a, a couple months with us, to worship, maybe to serve on our connections team, or just, just, to, just to fill a seat and be a part of what God's doing there. We believe that that, 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 that campus is going to have so much potential and opportunity. We just need people willing, willing to go down there with a smile. If you can't smile, don't go down there. Okay? If you can't smile, I have, an, I have other churches in the area I can recommend to you. Okay? Okay? Churches without the joy of G. We got the joy of Jesus here at Bell Shoals. We are, we are a bunch of blind people who can now see. All right? So if you can't smile, don't go to Riverview. But if you can just smile, go, go get your worship on. You'd be amazed at the difference that'll make. You'd just be amazed. Maybe just to share your story with someone that you have, you have a relationship with. You could, next time you're at lunch, mention just some ways that God's changed your life. You have a story. You have all that you need to be an effective follower of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you with this today, and we're done, that God will use the sharing of your story every single time. And don't you ever forget that you might be planting the first seed, or you might be watering and don't you ever forget for one minute that at some point in the future, God may bring the growth. I have a good friend that pastors one of the most influential churches in the state. God's blessed his ministry in a profound way, and um, it's been really cool to see. You know, it's just a joy that we get to kind of do what we do together here in Florida. And I heard him share his testimony one day. You know what his testimony is? His grandfather one day was out in the driveway working on his car, minding his own business. And there was a guy at a local church where his grandfather lived who got convicted about sharing a story. And he engaged in what we used to call back in the day door-to-door evangelism. Some of you remember that? Here's what this man did. He said, uh, I'm just going to kind of walk down my street. I'm just going to knock on some doors. I'm going to invite people to church, and I'm just going to share my story. I know some of you are like, okay, weirdo, I'm not doing that. Okay, well, I'm just telling you what the guy chose to do. There's no law against that, by the way. And the guy said, uh, I'm just going to do that. Okay. Starts walking down the street, knocking on doors. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Comes across my friend's grandfather in his driveway. He says, hey, sir, my name's so-and-so. Nice to meet you. Hey, can I just tell you something? I just, 
I'm kind of walking down the street today. I just, man, I just want you to know, I, man, I just want you to know that, that, that Jesus Christ has changed my life. And I'm not trying to be too forward here, but I just want you to know, like, man, wherever you are in life, I'd love the opportunity to share with you my story, how Jesus has changed my life. And just invite you to think about that. I'd love to have you come to church with me. You just kind of shared the gospel with them, invite them to church with Dude said, no, nah, man, I appreciate it, and that's not really for me. The guy, by the way, he's wearing like a suit and tie, okay? <laughs> this is back in the day, right, when it was like, okay, it's in the Bible. If you're going to share your faith, you have to have a tie on. Okay, remember those days, right? And so like suit and tie walking down the street, invites this dude to church, like, no, nah, keeps going, keeps going. Over the next several days, my friend's grandfather, he'd be th thinking about what that guy shared with him. The Lord really stirred his heart. He thought more and more and more about it, and he realized, you know what? I do need the Lord in my life. And long story short, he ended up getting saved. God saved him. Changed the trajectory of his family. One of his sons became one of the most influential high school football coaches in the state, discipled countless students for the Lord. His grandson is now one of the most influential pastors in the country. Now, are you ready for this? The man responsible for bringing him to salvation never knew what happened. Never knew. He was just faithful to share what the Lord had laid on his heart to share. He shared it and he went on about his way. And you know what? You know what just brings me to tears with this whole thing? He probably went home that night and told his wife, I'm a miserable failure. I invited somebody to come to church. I actually got to talk to a man in his driveway. Man, he could not have been interested at all. And he probably went home feeling pretty down on himself, feeling like the Lord can't use me, probably feeling like I'm not a member of the A-team. And I tell you right now, I hope I get to be there in the new heavens and new earth one day when, when those two brothers meet up for a second time and that brother finds out how God used him and the sharing of his story. <laughs> because I'm telling you, Thousands of people have been changed because that man was faithful to share his story with someone he didn't even know. But he never knew this side of eternity. And I just want you to be encouraged today. We are a part of a mission and a movement that's changing the world. And if Jesus has given you your spiritual sight and he has saved you and he's changed the trajectory of your family and he's given you a reason to live, you have a story worth sharing. And it's okay if not everyone responds in the moment. You just keep planting. You just keep watering. You just keep on sharing. And let's just see what God does. Because there's a lot of people around here that need the Lord. They think what they ultimately need is not what they ultimately need. But you have what they ultimately need. The light of the world.